The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV, series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the Strange New Worlds episode, Elysian Fields. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, and welcome to the Elysian Kingdom episode. <laughs> wait, wait. That... Elysian, Elysian Fields or something else. That's not the title because that's what I saw listed. Interesting. All right. Uh, I, I will amend my uh, my <laughs> notes to, to reflect that. Uh, and then uh, Father Corey Stika, welcome. How's it going? Very well, thanks. So, folks, be sure to follow the Secrets of Star Trek in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn on your favorite podcast app or at the StarQuest YouTube channel where you should hit the bell to get notifications. Uh be sure to stick around to the end of the show because we have more of your fantastic listener feedback. And I want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network you are sure to enjoy called The Catholics of Oz. At wherever fine podcasts are found, you can find it or at sqpn.com slash Oz or O-Z. All right. Yes. Now I see here where I, I mistyped <laughs> Elysian <laughs> uh, Fields instead of Elysian Kingdom. Uh, so, Jimmy, can you give us a recap of the Elysian Kingdom? Do you sure you don't want the Elysian Fields? No, no. We'll talk about that in a second where the title comes from. But <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> first. this week, our Let's Meet the Crew of the Enterprise episode focuses on Dr. Mbenga. His daughter, Rukia, is out of the transporter and feeling perfectly healthy, despite the fact that she's also deathly ill. Uh, the ship has also come to a nebula that they've been studying. But when they try to leave, Dr. Mbenga finds himself embedded in a redressed version of the Enterprise with all of the crew playing the roles of characters from the story he's been reading his daughter, except Hammer, who was protected from the effect by the fact he's a telepath. We get a fun storybook adventure, including a cowardly version of Captain Pike, and then everything turns serious when Dr. Mbenga finds his daughter in his quarters. The Nebula is intelligent and has made Rukia perfectly well, but she can't leave or she'll get sick and die, so Dr. Mbenga allows her to live in the Nebula. The ship goes back to normal, and the little girl becomes a special effect and goes zipping off into the Nebula. Only to return a moment later, years older, describing the great adventure she's been having with her new Nebula buddy. In the end, uh, nobody remembers what happened in the last five hours except for Dr. Mbenga, who reconciles himself to being parted from his daughter, knowing that she's okay. The end. So one of the things that I thought of as I was watching this uh, is, don't they have stasis tubes at this point <laughs> in Star Trek? Like, Discovery had stasis tubes, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and, uh, so, stasis, I, I can't remember if Discovery did. Obviously, you know, DS9 did because it talked about having like a, a stasis area in on the station and things like that. Right. Which is much later, you know, 80 some odd years. But uh, OK. Uh, uh, so like just the idea of like having to use a transporter buffer as a way of storing somebody so, so they don't change. But where they had stasis, that was. a. But that might, must have been later. Yeah, I find. So as long as we're at the higher conceptual level. This girl has no evidence that she's sick at all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and she never has. They've never, I mean, they had him talk about watching her waste away, but every single time she's out of the transporter, she is 
perfectly healthy and skipping around and talking like a yep. spunky little girl. And this this kid is not sick, not in any visible way. Well, and then even even says in this that, you know, months have become days and days have become hours like she's knocking on death's door despite his efforts to keep her in the transporter buffer. Yeah, Star Trek diseases like progress very uh, un- invisibly and and can be cured at the very last second. Apparently, yeah, she doesn't look sick at all, and I think that's a flaw a little bit. I mean, mm-hmm. if we're yeah. gonna find a flaw, mm-hmm. it's I think it's a flaw to not because it doesn't create the pathos that's necessary to feel like the time's running out. This we've got to find this cure, and and to feel his Doctor Mbenka's desperation to find this cure. She looks. She seems fine to me. Like it's just. It's kind of a weird choice that they made to not depict her getting sick. And have they her done some, they, Yeah, I was gonna say they could have done something as simple as all of a sudden, as she's you know sitting there listening to the story, suddenly have a hard time breathing, or you know she gets out yeah. of the chair and kind of stumbles a little bit, or something. You know, doesn't have to be anything major, but just something to show this is not a totally healthy girl. This is not a, just mm-hmm. a normal girl who gets stuck in the transporter buffer for twenty three hours a day. Uh, and while we're on the, the higher level of things, uh, I find sort of a, a more general comment. All child actors are too precocious for the, by the nature of them having to be actors and they're thus mm-hmm. having to be self-possessed and you know self-confident and stuff. They so often in so many different shows, small children seem too too much, you know, too self-possessed mm-hmm. and too, you know, too well-spoken uh, for what a child of that age in those situations would be. That just kind of, it kind of struck me for some reason, especially in this one, seeing this little girl. She's great. She's fine. She's a good actress, but it's just, she's a child and it doesn't always come across that way with these child actors. So I just thought it was interesting. So one thing is uh, what we're getting is so we've seen this book that Dr. Mbega is reading to her and it's called the Elysian, the kingdom of Elysia actually uh, is, is the title on the book. And um, Jack Barazzini, who's the host of secrets of Stargate and, you know, on some other shows uh, on the Starcrest network picked up and, and, and shared this on our discord community that the book, the book's author, I don't know if you guys caught this is Benny Russell, mm-hmm. who is oh the, Alternate character from Deep Space Nine when yeah when Cisco yep. got caught up in uh, the the prophets like alternate vision of the of the fifties and sixties far beyond the stars far beyond yep. the stars yes uh, which raises some very interesting questions <laughs> like well I, I like to take that someone in, whoever modified the the memory alpha wick you put is that it it says that this was an actual figure in the Star Trek universe back in the fifties that wrote these books. And as part of that vision from the prophets, Cisco saw himself in that role, in that position. Right. So, you know, so that it, that, you know, this wasn't just a fever dream that this character, this person existed, but that they actually did exist back then. Yeah. And that, that also relates this story because this is a we've seen this plot before, essentially, where we have some alien force that's causing our regular characters to behave differently and act out other roles. Yeah. And we've seen that in um, in the original series that happened in Cat's Paw and in The Squire of Gothos. It happened in The Next Generation where Q forced everybody to play Robin Hood 
and um, also Data got possessed by the alien culture computer thing that made him have Masaka mm-hmm. and Corgano. Um, and in DS9, we had Dramatis Personae and If Wishes Were Horses and Far Beyond the Stars. So we've seen this alien force makes our characters pl- put on a play for us um, yep. thing before. And and I thought it was I thought it was fine in those terms, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I I. I enjoyed it. It was it was kind of fun to see the the our familiar characters acting differently. Even even though there is still the first season. I loved the cowardly Captain Pike. That was great. Yeah, <laughs> curly Captain Pike in the the overly flighty, bubbly Lawn. Yes. Yeah, no, Lawn is like she's the girliest girl princess ever, <laughs> yeah. which is the polar opposite of what her character is normally. It was what's so funny is she's got the dog, and according to Memory yeah. Alpha, the dog is literally Christina Chong's dog. Actual dog, yes, it's her dog. Uh, yeah. Was it uh, uh, Runa Ewok? Is the name of the dog? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, although I saw references to it as as cat, I'm like, not a cat. <laughs> it's very much a dog. <laughs> it's very much a dog. Uh, so yeah, and and the 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 uh, the captain's um, hair. Did you catch the hair, the hair being very different this time? Oh, yes. As yeah. Parted him. down the middle. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> a lot of fun. Uh, and Uhura gets to be very different. Uh, and uh, I like the fact that the, the Kemmer is the wizard Castor and Spock is Pollux and they're opposites and light and dark mm-hmm. and, you know, which plays off of the, the character's own uh, appearances. It does kind of does kind of give away the he's your brother thing. Um, (laughs) their names are Castor and Pollux. It's like, okay, they're the twins. (laughs) That's right. Exactly. Now there's, there's some comments I saw online about, you know, why does Hammer resist and Spock doesn't? And, you know, yeah, they don't really explain other than that Hammer was able to recognize it. The, 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 uh, the consciousness pressing on him and was able to resist it where Spock perhaps wasn't maybe Hammer's, uh, uh, mental abilities are stronger than Spock's are, at least as far as telepathy and things like that. Yeah, it, it, it is a bit of a hold, though. I mean, we have a long established in Star Trek lore that Spock is telepathic and susceptible to telepathic influences. Uh, so to not address it, at least in a line of dialogue at all, is is kind of curious. Uh, so it, it I mean, in the in the. In another form of the script, you could have just had Spock being that character, like Spock picking that up. Um, they obviously wanted Hammer for some reason, but uh, mm-hmm. um, and, and we Hammer is back after missing being missing for a couple yeah. episodes, so, which is is interesting to note too. With with the magic of science, <laughs> yes, there was a couple of really good lines with that where he get uh, uh, using the 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 equipment aboard the ship to bring about actions that looked magical. My 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 favorite Hammer line though was one where he is describing how it felt to come into mental contact with the nebula, and he <laughs> says it felt like my brain was being squeezed out through my nose, and <laughs> and at that point Erica Ortega says I did that to a man once. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so let's see. Uhura is uh, Queen Nev, the chief enemy. Uh, of, of the uh, the the of Mabengas uh, in the uh, in the story, uh, number one Una is the the huntress figure, which is 
makes sense. I thought for for a second that she'd be the uh, the Queen Nev that when they were referring to her, but that's yeah, I, yeah. that's yeah. what I thought too. That's what I thought, and it was kind of fun to see Uhura as kind of playing the evil maniacal queen. Yeah, yeah, that because that, it's very different from her regular character. Um, there is a I have to kind of nitpick. So the doctor in the beginning is doing this, you know, working on creating a medicine to heal his daughter on this lab table and something goes wrong and it kind of explodes in his face. And then a force field pops up and I'm like, you know, in the 20th century, we have lab hoods <laughs> where you don't yeah. stick your head in the space where the bad things could happen. Like maybe you should go back to some of that technology. <laughs> it yeah. seems, seems like a bad idea. And at first he thought that that, that explosion caused him to hallucinate and all this right. was a hallucination. Uh, but it turned out it was obviously something very different. A nice misdirection. So let's talk a bit about the title of the, the book and episode, which refers mm-hmm. to Alicia and my mistake of the Elysian fields. Jimmy, what 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 is the reference here? The Elysian reference? The Elysian fields are in Greek mythology where good people go when they die. And not necessarily all good people, but certain good people go to the Elysian fields and it's a paradisical type environment. Okay. Okay. And so the reference, maybe, maybe a bit of a reference to the girls, you know, coming, uh, end of her life or coming death, uh, impending. Um, mm-hmm. and the fact that she ends up in, in Elise, in an Elysian field, Elysian kingdom situation at the end, going off with this entity. Um, right. so, uh, and, and she asked the question at the beginning, what if we could change the ending? And which is what this entity helps her do uh, in both literal and literary sense. Mm-hmm. So, so there's, there's these two major parts. The first part is, I mean, well, really three, if you want to count the prologue, but there, the two major parts of the story are everything that happens before Mbenga goes into his quarters mm-hmm. and everything that happens after yes. Mbenga goes into right. his quarters. And the before segment is the fun frolicky romp uh, which mm-hmm. where, you know, it's clear the actors are having fun. They're playing against type They're You know, it's it. And it and it is genuinely fun. Um, I at one point, Spock is talking about how as 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 a wizard, he's going to take them on a shortcut to get to or he's going to get them safely into Queen Nev's mm-hmm. kingdom. And they ask how he's going to do that. And he says that he's going to take them through the swamp of infinite deaths. <laughs> yes. and, and 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 Pike's just very subtly says, oh, that's not a good swamp. <laughs> <laughs> that was very good. <laughs> yeah. And um, and and so we have all this fun stuff, which is inconsequential. You know, it's it's not really doing anything, um, but it's just a, a chance to have fun. And then. Then suddenly the emotional tone of everything flips mm-hmm. when Mbenga goes into his quarters and Rakia is there and he's got Himmer with him and Himmer starts, uh, allows the nebula to speak through him and so forth. And and he, and the whole emotional dynamic of everything changes. Yes. And it is not, it doesn't feel like the same story anymore. And... Mm-hmm. Um, and Mbenga is making these decisions for his daughter, um, allowing her to stay and, and become 
permanently nebulized mm-hmm. as far as he knows. And I'm going, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. This, if I'm a father, these decisions are coming way too fast. Right. right. Um, and too I easy. Mean, too easy. Yeah. This is, this is, this is heavy, dude. Um, <laughs> and then she goes, she turns into a special effect and she zooms out the window and comes back like a second later as an adult. Mm-hmm. and is talking about how this was the right decision and stuff. And I'm going, you are so lucky because in real life, it would you in real life. She wouldn't have come back the next second. And she would have spent years resenting you as her father who abandoned her to this hideous alien cloud thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I, I will. I will say that the, the choice was was foreshadowed uh, when he was working on the experiments and Una mm-hmm. comes in because there was some shuttle crew that needed to be checked out that cleared for duty. And he wasn't doing it. And she has to say, I, I, I sympathize with your your responsibilities as a father to to do this. But you also have responsibilities to the crew. You know, you 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 have a job you need to do to the crew. And of course, that plays out then with the conversation with the daughter of he has a choice. It's either the crew stays trapped in the daughter's imagination, basically fantasy, or he has to let go of his daughter. Because conveniently, the the, the nebula can cure her. The entity in the nebula can cure her. But she has to stay with the entity for the cure to remain in place. Yeah. And this also undermines what they did a few weeks ago with that scientist from the mm-hmm. from the uh, evil hell world. Um, Majalis. Majalis. Giving him yeah. giving him t- uh, information that should be able to help treat his daughter. We never saw anything come of that. I assume that's what he was working on. You know, that, yeah. that he was using that information to what he was working on when it blew up in his face. But but it was weird that they brought it up in that episode as a potential cure. And it wasn't. It, it, and it just seemed kind of it seems kind of odd to sort of bring that misdirection in, you know, the, well, the he, thread. Well, he didn't give him the technology, just gave him the lead, basically, is the yeah. way they put it. You yeah. know, gave him some guidance of where, where to look, but didn't give him the actual technology to cure her. Yeah, yeah. The uh the life form itself, they talk about it's it's a spontaneously occurring Oh, they say it's a Boltzmann brain, but mm-hmm. yeah, um they they say it's a Boltzmann brain, but it it that's kind of iffy, but whatever. It's it's an intelligent nebula. That's all we need to know. <laughs> they didn't need to layer on a Boltzmann brain. What's a Boltzmann brain? It's a hypothetical it's it's a thought experiment, basically, in physics where um, and it gets used in kind of. So I'm trying to think of the simplest way to explain it. Um, The idea of a Boltzmann brain does indeed involve a a consciousness that spontaneously forms Um, and the the this gets used in thought experiments about the nature of reality. How do you know that you're not just a Boltzmann brain? How do you know that you're not just a consciousness that has spontaneously formed? Um, it, it, and, and there's an argument that, well, wouldn't that be simpler to propose that you're just a, you're just a Boltzmann brain than, um, than proposing that there's this whole vast universe if you're just if it, that's that's organized the way you perceive it is, it, it would be simpler to explain this small patch of space that has a 
your consciousness that has temporarily formed in it. Um, so, yeah, there is a connection there in that Boltzmann brains spontaneously form, but they're they're playing it very differently than right. they, this is just you really all you need to do is say this is an intelligent nebula. Right. Yeah. This right. is. Yeah. The Boltzmann brain is more like the the brain in the jar hooked up to a machine that's feeding yeah. you all your sensory inputs and all that, and you're you're not really a person walking around that kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess Hammer says it sounds like you're describing a Boltzmann brain, which we, we, they're not actually seeing it is, but that technically, I guess. But uh, but he also says it sounds like you're describing a god. Uh, a an intelligence with no body and the ability to create a new reality. Which well, I thought that was that was Una that said it. Oh, Una okay. in the Huntsman character said uh, that that sounds I'm, like a god. I must I mistyped. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like a god. Um, which gods don't spontaneously occur. Well, okay, but whatever. But the, I, I mean, I'll I'll, I'll 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 attribute it to the character of the book. Yeah, and that's how I took it, and I I understood god in this case as like a greek god that's Mm -hmm. able not as the true god but Mm -hmm. as like a greek god who's able to have a have an organic holodeck around them where they wish stuff into existence right right and uh, one of the the the, the clue that mabenga gets for what's really going on here is is that he realizes adia played by ortegas and the huntress played by una aren't supposed to know each other in the book yet. They, they do obviously in their story. And so uh, it's because Rakia had imagined them as being together. And so that's when he realized it's not Mabega's brain that the entities latched onto, but Rakia's and how she's mm-hmm. been beamed out into somewhere to the ship and that she is these, the MacGuffin, the mercury stone that Queen Nev wants. It's this all powerful thing. And that's what leads her to leads him to her eventually somewhere on the ship. Yeah, because he finds out she's not in the pattern buffer anymore. She's she was beamed out and is somewhere on the ship, but doesn't he doesn't know where. Right. And I I mean, we kind of talked about it, but I want to come back to it just as from my perspective. I wanted to talk a little bit about this decision that Babenga makes is. It is. I mean, it, how do you do that? <laughs> how do you just <laughs> decide to leave her behind? Like, I get she's going to die. I guess, but she's not necessarily they if you get her back in the transporter. Yeah, they yeah. haven't set it up properly and they needed to show her if if she's right on death's door, they need to show that. Yeah. And mm-hmm. they didn't. And that would help sell the urgency of this of this decision. If if he goes into his quarters and she's perfectly healthy, whereas we had seen her suffering and about to die and she right. had minutes left you know, then that could help motivate this, but it's not set up properly. And it, it feels like two just completely different stories. Um, the emotional tone of before and after he goes into his quarters is so different that it, it feels disconnected. And so I enjoyed the episode overall because of the fun adventure. And I don't mind where they ended up with okay she's mm-hmm. not on the ship anymore but that last act was just really rushed yeah yeah and and part of it is because you know literally the only reason why we know she was healed was because of the um because the fact he pulls a tricorder and scans her and says yep she's healed now i mean right don't see any sign of her again you know talk about it earlier there she showed no symptoms of any kind of illness before and now she's you know just looks like a normal healthy girl and 
I, I'm also left wondering, where's her mother? Like, did her mother, did we get that her mother died? Is that she's a, that he's a widower? It's not stated, but um, we do know that the mom is, whose name was Deborah is no longer around anymore. Yeah, and right. the implication is that she's dead, it seems. Okay. Yeah, and, that's, that's kind of the way they played it. Not that this was like a divorce situation or they were separated because of Starfleet or whatever, but that it was, you know, I think he says something like, well, that was, that was your mom's name. Or something right. like that, where it's implying that that she had died at some point. Yeah, I think he says something like, "You look like you look just like she did." You know that sort of thing. Yep. So, yeah, okay, that's right, that's right. So, uh, the, she she goes away, comes back as an adult, and you know reassures him, and then goes away again, and then everything goes back to normal, and no one remembers. Even Hammer does Hammer not remember? He no, doesn't he, remember because he he, he, he yeah. got possessed by the yeah. by the nebula. Right. Yeah. Well, he's because he, he said, um, you know, how did I end up in the quarters? Last thing I remember, the ship was stopped in the right. nebula. Right. So no. Yeah. So no one remembers anything that happened. Uh, although I, I gather from his la- from Abenga's last conversation with number one that he he wrote a report detailing what happened. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. would be a very interesting report to read on how he described Captain Pike. <laughs> yeah, well, all of them. All of them. Yeah, <laughs> but so yeah, he was the only co- one who remembered. Yeah. He was the only one who remembered of the crew. Captain, you were a coward <laughs> and a traitor. <laughs> and a traitor. <laughs> so um, good. Any last thoughts on this one, Father Corey? Uh, speaking of names, of course, you know, we found out that Deborah was his wife's name. His um, and Benga's first name is Joseph. Yep, right. We find out because Una calls him Joseph when she wa- walks in, which I think was a TOS thing. I think actually he's called Joseph Mbenga in the original series. Um, oh, I, hmm. That's and yeah, I don't. I don't say I haven't seen memory. that particular episode yet. Yeah, didn't remember uh, that. Yeah, and that's that's all I had. It was oh, we've got to mention too that Chapel was in this. She was Lady Aludra, the healer. <laughs> right. That's right. That's right. The uh, the uh, folk healer. Uh, she really didn't play much of a role, but she was she was in there. So yep. Uh, Jimmy, any final thoughts? No, um, I mean, I, 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 if you want jokes, I could call for the jester, but I think I'll hold the jester. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Bring out the jester. <laughs> oh, th- th- that does remind me. I love the bridge redressed as the throne room. Yeah, that was mm-hmm. too cool. That, yes, very appropriate. <laughs> um, and the uh, computer being the oracle, I thought that was good too. Yep. Yeah. All right, we did. I mentioned we have some feedback from our last episode, uh, number two thirteen, the the serene squall, and our first feedback comes from Kelly on Facebook, who wrote, "This was a fun episode. I loved Pike's confidence that his plan to start a mutiny would work." As for Captain Angel, I found the character much more interesting and fun after the reveal. I loved it when when Spock says that Vulcans are not swayed by emotional appeals and Angel comes right back and says she was doing nothing but emotional appeals and it worked against Spock. Uh, The you fell for my sad story. That's on you line was hilarious. I'm really liking Mm -hmm. Spock's fiance. It's difficult to make supposed emotionless characters interesting. And the actress who plays her is doing a good job with that. However, I'm concerned that she's showing up in too many episodes. It could become tiresome if there are more episodes with Spock relationship drama. As for Captain Pike, if the fact that he's Starfleet's Boy Scout is in his file, I wonder if there's also a blurb about how he has the tallest hair in the fleet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I, I agree. I think I I like to bring. I don't Mm -hmm. want her to become a regular part of the crew, so to speak. Um, Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they play out. We've got a couple more episodes left of this season, and... If they kind of play that out and then we don't see her again for season two or 
how that's going to work. My sense is that she'll likely show up as a as a periodic, not as a regular character, but as a recurring character. Right. And, you know, I I don't know how many ideas they have for ways that they can, you know, explore her relationship with Spock. But we've we've seen a couple of them here. Um, and, I, you know, I, I wouldn't want her to vanish, but I wouldn't want her to to, you know, become a regular either. Mm. Right. Uh, Kevin wrote on our Discord community, uh, interesting, Jimmy in the episode on Serene Squall says, Nurse Chapel says, I know there are no feelings between us. And Jimmy says, we know that's a lie. I interpreted that somewhat differently. Chapel obviously has feelings for Spock, but I saw her as specifically using the term between so as to speak the truth while not actually telling the truth. Between is reciprocal. She knows she has feelings for Spock and he knows he has none for her. So there is nothing between them just a one-directional emotional attachment. I agree that I like that they're deepening amok time and Spock and Chapel's relationship, but I don't like the way Vulcan sexuality is being handled. I like the idea of Vulcan sexuality being something very alien, constrained, and private, like it's portrayed in amok time, instead of the very modern human sexuality Spock and T'Pring are portrayed as having in Strange New Worlds. Yeah, so I don't think we're in disagreement. I recognize that Christine Chapel was deliberately using ambiguous language that can be understood more than one way. Um, I also don't like the humanization of Vulcan sexuality. Um, yeah. And I, I think it's it, it would be better if it was more if if they left it with the more alien understanding. It That's much more interesting than. OK, um, so they're basically like humans, except every seven years. They're really passionate. Yeah. 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 It was better when it was like every seven years and we would look at it like, wow, that's so weird. You know, I mean, it, it creates this, an alienness about the, the Vulcans mm -hmm. and Vulcans shouldn't just be emotionless humans with pointy ears. I, I think I agree with that. I mean, the, the whole conversation with the, the novels at the beginning of Serene's Call was was pretty humorous. That was that was kind of a funny scene. But beyond that, yeah, I kind of yeah. agree. It is kind of fun watching uh, Spock be awkward about things like that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> about jokes on the wine. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> awesome. So I and I'm sorry I couldn't uh, join you guys for that one. Uh, I was away on vacation, but uh, it, you guys did a great job discussing it. So uh, yeah, we saw the pictures. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so uh, I think that does it for this time. We want to, before we go, take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Josette S., Mary H., Rachel H., Joseph G., and Michaela K. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows of Star Trek, Star Quest, <laughs> I, I, it's inevitable I'm going to make those <laughs> once in a while you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give so that's it from us what did you think of the Elysian Kingdom this Strange New Worlds episode you can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquest media or send an email to trek at sqpn.com or visit our Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next new episode of Strange New Worlds called All Those Who Wander. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you, and live long and prosper. 
And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, the Swamp of Infinite Death is not a good swamp. <laughs> <laughs>